Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit was written by Walter Tevis and was published in 1983. And the uh, Netflix adaptation came out uh, in 2020 and was showrun and directed by Scott Frank. We're doing The Queen's Gambit. It's The Queen's Gambit. I'm so happy to be talking about this, Adina. Yes. Uh, because I am, for, for anyone who's listened to most, you know, other episodes of ours, I, whenever I get the chance, I try to work in a little talk about chess. Yeah. Uh, into an episode I know I did on um, the first Harry Potter one we did. Mm-hmm. But I, I've just uh, enjoyed playing chess, especially the last couple years I've gotten back into it. Yeah. My dad taught me how to play when I was in elementary school, and I've enjoyed getting to play it again. And uh, I've always been very aware, too, of how it's portrayed oftentimes in film and TV. Yeah, and you've complained about it quite often <laughs> on this podcast. I have, anytime I've gotten a chance. Because usually it's like a thinly veiled metaphor for like mental sparring, like two yeah. Uh, arguing people will be playing chess. And I'm like, like Magneto and... Uh, yes! Oh my god. Uh, Professor X. Yeah. That was literally in my head. That was the first <laughs> one I was thinking of. Yeah, it's a classic one. It is. Um, but usually also, like, play... Like, they'll be... Y- these characters are supposed to be smart, and then one will do a surprise checkmate on the other, and I'm like, okay, well, they're not that good at chess if they didn't see a checkmate in one move. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... And even, like... Shows and uh, movies about chess are sometimes not great about this either. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few good ones that I like. Searching for Bobby Fisher is a good chess film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a book too as well, but I don't think anyone's interested in that one. <laughs> um, but so I was really hoping when I heard about The Queen's Gambit, I'm like, I want this to be good. That was like my first concern. I'm like, I just want this to be good. Yeah. And then when I watched it and, you know, spoiler alert, I liked it. I was like, okay, cool. If, like, some people watched it, that'd be great. Like, a few people. Uh, And then it became, like, one of the, if not the most watched show on Netflix. Yeah. Which is insane to me Mm -hmm. that it became so popular. Yeah, it's really cool to see, especially because we don't, like, have a lot of chess movies. And I don't want to say, I don't want to relate it to sports films, but... Like, it does have a lot of similarities. Oh, there's to a lot of parallels. That. Um, yeah. But it's kind of cool to get something very different. And also, I love that this story centers on a young woman instead of like the typical bro sports vibe with like a bunch of men on a team. Well, and, and chess is very male dominated too, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, as a result, uh, of this being so popular and I think also do obviously to quarantine yeah. and um, also apparently uh, chess players on Twitch mm-hmm. has become really popular in the past year or so. Uh, all these things have led to uh, a kind of big boom in chess, especially in the U S like chess sets, chess books um, flying off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really exciting. It's really cool that uh, not only was this show so popular, but it's also bleeding into the real world of people actually wanting to play chess. Yeah, it's had a cultural impact. And if you're getting into chess or you already like to play chess, you can find Ian and play him online. You can. I am on Lie Chess, L-I-C-H-E-S-S, uh, iGeorge923. <laughs> find me, challenge me. Kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm, I'm genuinely 
not that great of a player. I like to say I know enough to know I'm not that good. <laughs> um, but I still love playing. So, I mean, if anyone wants to send me a correspondence <laughs> game, I'd love to play one. When we begin our story, The Queen's Gambit, we meet Beth Harmon, and she's eight or nine years old, recently orphaned. Her mom died in a car accident, and she is sent to an orphanage called Methuen Meth- in, in Kentucky. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's very, uh, this part of the story, especially in the TV show, is very stylized in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very grim looking. It's very grim and uh, desaturated. It almost feels like removed from like any specific time period. Yeah. I mean, we're in the... um, 60s? Yeah, we're in the 60s. But like their clothes are very drab and old. And like, I'm like, I don't know when this would take place. Yeah. Yeah. They're all in like kind of the same type of uniform. A lot of them have the same haircut too. Yeah. It's not a good vibe. It's a religious orphanage. And, you know, Beth is just feeling very like isolated. I mean, she's just lost her mom and doesn't have any other family and is completely alone. Um, and what comes in to save her from this emptiness Tranquilizers. Drugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, orphanage is giving all of the all of the good little girls tranquilizers yeah. to just make them more like easier. Even your disposition. Yeah, even their disposition, make them easier <laughs> to manage. And this is just such a sad, but like totally believable. It's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if like. You know, this was wasn't based on like an actual event I'd or like reality. I'd be like, that would probably happen. Like I could see that happening. Yeah. And also pretty predictable is that Beth kind of gets hooked on these immediately. And I think this can be like pretty easily explained by the fact that like she's just totally ripped away from her life and is put in a totally new environment. And she's also having trouble sleeping and feels very anxious. And the tranquilizers give her that sense of calm and peace and she has she like saves them for the night so she can sleep better so then she starts to rely on them she can't sleep without them uh she starts like saving them up and then taking a few at once because she likes the way it makes her feel it's kind of interesting I'm, I'm thinking about this just now actually i wonder if that's kind of like what led to her being kind of an alcoholic who like goes on benders and binges yeah. is her kind of like saving it up mm-hmm. and then like, you know, using all her pills at night. Similarly, how going really hard. Yeah. She'll have stretches of sobriety and then just like have a bender for multiple days on end. Um, I don't know. There could be a correlation there. Yeah, definitely. She does make uh, one really good friend at the orphanage in both versions. Uh, Jolene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jolene's like a little older than her. She's 13, I think. Yeah. And is black as well. Mm hmm. And there is this really weird scene, though, in the book. Yeah, it it was very kind of shocking, honestly, and very upsetting to a degree. Yeah, Jolene ends up like coming over to Beth's like bed in the night and she wants Beth to arouse her sexually. Yeah, kind of have some like a sexual encounter with Beth. Yeah, and Beth doesn't want to. And Beth ends up being like, no, and like kind of. Say, like pushing Jolene away, basically. And Jolene's kind of like mad at her about this, and this makes their relationship kind of tense for a while. And then they seem like they're fine. And honestly, I'm just like, what is the point of this episode in the book? Because they end up becoming close friends and seem like they're fine, and there's no sexual thing between them at all. And I'm like, why would you have the only black character 
in this book. Kind of act predatory yeah. in a way. Or and be like the- hypersexualized. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a very, like, like I totally understand why the show, like. Oh, yeah. The felt, show was like, we're not fucking with that. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not touching that. Um, but yeah, it was just like a very unfortunate part of the book to read and kind of just upsetting and like. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the fact that like this is a white male author like writing in the 80s. Not like that gives any excuse to it, but like it is something that comes up with us sometimes in books that we're reading like this sexism and racism, unfortunately. Yeah, but th- their relationship is for the most part in the story very good though. Like Jolene yeah. is for the most part like a very good friend mm-hmm. um, and is there for Beth in a way and they kind of have almost like a si- sisterly bond, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, despite, th- even in the book, despite this like random incident, like they end up being fine and yeah. are, they joke around with each other a lot and are able to talk about stuff. You know, Jolene knows about Beth taking the pills and like, you know, kind of her addiction to them. In fact, she like kind of warns her to be careful with yeah. the pills. Um, in the show, she's the one who tells Beth to save them. that It's better to take them at night. Um, it's funny in the show, too. They kind of like go back and forth and Jolene calls her a cracker a lot. <laughs> yeah. And Beth like kind of laughs it off. It's like a term like of endearment for yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, similarly, when Beth is at this uh, orphanage, she encounters Mr. Scheibel when she's cleaning out the chalk erasers in the basement and she sees that he's playing a game, Mm -hmm. which it's chess. Spoiler, (laughs) it's chess. And she's kind of immediately like fascinated by it and Mm -hmm. eventually confronts Mr. Scheibel asking uh, if he'll teach her. He refuses at first. But then when she kind of shows that she already has an understanding just from watching him, he agrees to. Yeah. And so then he begins to, to teach her kind of the basics and... She immediately kind of takes it up. She, you know, obviously has a strong liking for it. Yeah, and it's really cool in the show. They illustrate her, like, really powerful and imaginative mind where she looks at the ceiling and she sees the chessboard on the ceiling. Yeah, and the way this kind of ties her pill, her substance abuse to yeah. chess. Mm-hmm. Like you get why later on in life she has a hard time separating those two where she feels like she needs the pills. Yeah. Um, But yeah. And, and I, I really do like the chess on the ceiling effect. Like mm-hmm. it's used mostly at the start of the show in yeah. the early episodes. And I think it's effective. It easily could have been like cheesy, but I think they did it sparingly enough that it worked well. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this and when it ends up coming back later, I feel like they pull it off really well where you can sometimes just see the shadow of it like on her face and you know exactly what's happening that yeah. she can see it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great shot of it uh later on when she's uh at a tournament and mm-hmm. she goes to the bathroom and takes a pill. Yeah. And there's a great dip of the camera where suddenly you see the ceiling in the bathroom mirror and like you the pieces are revealed on the ceiling kind of in that camera movement. Yeah. It was really cool and effective. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. And just when things are seeming to be going well, she's learning chess. She loves it. She takes her pills whenever she wants to have a good time. She kicks a bunch of high schoolers ass in a <laughs> simultaneous. Yeah. Things are great. Um, that's when the government is like, you can't give tranquilizers to children. <laughs> <laughs> do we have to tell you this? Yeah. Don't do that. And they're like, okay. <laughs> they're going to be really annoying, though, if they don't have their drugs. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But like. 
I mean, Beth goes through withdrawals and like is suddenly like needs those pills. She's suffering. She can't sleep. She just feels anxious all the time. It's funny. Jolene has a line about it. She said there's about to be a lot of jumpy orphans. <laughs> yeah. In this place. <laughs> kind of implying that like Beth's not the only one that's addicted to the, these pills. Mm-hmm. Like they're giving them every single day. Yeah. And so Beth is kind of going through. She's just having a really hard time with it. And she decides, like, now seems like a good time for a pill heist. <laughs> it's heist time, baby. <laughs> it's heist time, baby. <laughs> We're getting the crew back together. Yeah, and I don't really know if she had a plan. It do- it kind of seems like she had one, and then partway through, she just, like, abandoned the plan. I like because... Um, In the book, so she tries to steal, like, the entire jar. Yeah. And in the book, she actually has, like, a decent plan. She's going to hide it in, like, the shared closet of the girls' room in a bucket. Yeah. And, like, if they do find it, they won't know who put them there. Mm Mm-hmm. But I kind of love in this show, none of that is explained. No. So when she's taking the jar, it's just like, what is her plan here? What is she doing with it? How is she going to hide that? Honestly, the show is so funny because the whole, like, orphanage is like it's having movie night and they're watching The Robe, which is this like old uh, biblical story yeah, um, with like older Hollywood actors in it. And, you know, it's it's biblical and like the whole orphanage is like a Christian orphanage. So like the teachers and everyone are like super absorbed into it and yeah. Beth, like uses this chance to sneak out. And like as this dramatic like alleluia music is playing, <laughs> yeah. she's like, Finding the Holy Grail for her, which is this huge, clear glass jar of green pills. It's some of the best, like, dark comedy (laughs) I can think of, you know? And she just starts, like, shoving mouthfuls of pills. She... Look, she grabs a fistful of pills and then bites into it like it's an apple. <laughs> that's the best description I can say is that she she oh, it's almost like it's a, a physical, like solid object. Yeah, that she can just devour. Yeah, it's like it's crazy to watch that and to start laughing. But it is so funny. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, she's caught um, and has to face the consequences. Yeah, and those consequences mean that she's not allowed to play chess anymore. The head of this orphanage is like, this is unacceptable. You can never play chess again. We're going to take away your one good, healthy outlet. The only thing that was helping you cope besides the pills. Yeah, we're taking that away. There is a scene and moment in uh, book and movie that I that I really like, specifically in the show, where she kind of talks to Mr. Scheibel and tells him, like, I can't play chess with you anymore. Yeah. And I really, really love Mr. Scheibel in the show. Not that he's, like, like a good guy you'd want to know in real life. Not in that way. But, like, I think he really plays the stoic, emotionally withdrawn character super well. He does. Like, I think most other shows would give you more of a hint. Yeah, like, you know, he's mostly withheld, but, like, there's those occasional moments where he's, like, wink, or, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're you're okay, kid, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. But Mr. Scheibel doesn't really ever do that. Like, he's always withdrawn, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Um, Even, like, when she has those chocolates in the first episode, I originally thought he gave them to her, and the book reveals it was the teacher. Yeah. Which actually makes more sense. So I'm like... Wow, yeah, not even that little hint. No. Um, but this was another moment where she tells him this and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, like, Mr. Scheibel, like, 
is kind of like it is what it is type of person yeah. you know like i work for this orphanage and i don't have any control of like the orphans and you know he did like agree to teach her but he's not trying to like change the world you know no and he also probably can't like really show favoritism towards any of them yeah. you know what i mean or like form too close of a bond with them so it's also realistic to a degree but i, I just wanted to highlight that i think uh, Bill Camp, who plays uh, Mr. Scheibel in the show, does a really, really good job with it. Mm-hmm. We flash forward a bit in both the book and the show where um, Beth is 13 at this point, And the show is like, it's we're here with Anya Taylor-Joy. But they also kind of like hint that she might not actually be 15, which was kind of confusing to me. Well, yeah, and you were reading the book at that time, and the book definitely has her at 13. Yeah. The show does a little scene, a little moment where when she is being introduced to who become her adoptive parents, uh, the, what's her name? The woman who runs the... Mrs. Deerdorf? Deerdorf, yeah, is like, oh, this is Beth, she's 13. And Beth, like, clearly goes to say, I'm 15, but then Mrs. Deerdorf is, like, just shaking her head, like, don't ruin this. (laughs) (laughs) So she's really 15, but... I think Deerdorf was like just trying to get her adopted. And so she's like, she's 13. She has like so much more time to spend with you guys. <laughs> Which makes it a little more realistic that Anya Taylor Joy is playing this character. Yeah. Only slightly though, because like 15 even is a stretch for her, but they do give her that god awful haircut. Honestly, Anya Taylor Joy is like, between just her looks and her age, like she is able to play remarkably young. Yeah. And then where you're like, wow, she kind of does look 15, at least like in Hollywood world, where it's like everyone is always kind of aged up. Mm -hmm. And then when she's like an adult, you're like, shit, she looks like a young woman, you know? So she was like really that perfect actress, Mm -hmm. you know, in in many ways to play Beth, I think. Yeah. And Beth gets adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Wheatley. And this is like a very strange situation for Beth because obviously she doesn't know these people. And also because Mr. Wheatley... Uh, pretty much right away just pieces out and abandons the family. He's like, great, I'm going to sign all the paperwork to adopt you, and then I'm going to get the hell out of here. Yeah, and (laughs) just like, what? And Mrs. Wheatley does tell Beth, like, oh, it was Mr. Wheatley's idea to adopt you. Yeah, and you're like, what? Why? He, like, never talks to her. No, and I wasn't sure, was she just saying that so she would like Mr. Wheatley more, or was Mr. Wheatley, like, oh, you should, like, have someone around because you, who knows how long I'll be around, you know? <laughs> He's like, my plane leaves in 10 days. We gotta adopt an orphan. <laughs> Let's get this thing on the fast track. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Wheatley, though, is just kind of, like, also very emotionally distant and, like, kind of... Un- and I think it's, like, almost unsettling, too, because you're, like... In my mind, and I think maybe a lot of people's, it's, like, why would they want to adopt an older kid? Yeah. And I think you're kind of, like... A little suspicious. Yeah. And I think this show does that very effectively a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think you expect a lot of things and then things end up being switched around. And it happens in the book as well. Yeah. But like you're a little bit worried about Mr. Wheatley. He seems very ominous, but he kind of just fucks off, you know? Yeah. And like doesn't come back. And he makes trouble later on, but like, you know, he doesn't prey on Beth. No, no. And similarly with Mr. Scheibel, like... Oh, God, Beth's going into a dark basement where, like, yeah. the janitor's down there and there's... Just and a- he's very, like, 
kind of creepy a yeah, little bit. And there's like... just a bare light bulb on the ceiling. <laughs> and and similarly too, later on when Mrs. Wheatley and Beth start doing these tournaments, it kind of seems like Mrs. Wheatley is maybe going to like take advantage of Beth. Yeah, like she wants her to do this so she can take the money. And like I think part of her motivation is she does like traveling and it is mm-hmm. a source of income. Yeah. Um, but it's never like she's trying to like steal money from her or anything. No. And Beth like is able to keep like all of the money. Basically, she gives Mrs. Wheatley like 10 to 15 percent of yeah. her winnings, which is not that much for someone who's like traveling with you and like making sure all the arrangements are settled and mm-hmm. kind of like taking care of everything. So like, yeah, I love that this show and book kind of set something up where you're like, oh, no, I bet this is going to be like terrible or something like this is going to happen. And then it's like, oh, wait, they actually become like really close. Yeah. And I think it's a great example of like how a show can avoid the very obvious sources of like drama. Like you could yeah. have easily had like a conflict between Mrs. Wheatley and Beth over the money. And yeah. That that kind of thing. Um and a lesser show may have done an adaptation like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I, I, I don't know, I like seeing something different where like, wow, there's actually a lot of moments of warmth and like a good relationship and you get a lot from that. And that's not to say there's like no drama or oh, tension yeah. in mm-hmm. the story. It's just like not going to go for those like very easy situations of conflict, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I really love the relationship that develops between Beth and Mrs. Wheatley and like how Beth starts calling her mother. Yeah. And like, it just, it seems really sweet. Like they're both a little bit alone in the world and they're very different, but they're able to have fun together and to bond and to just like feel this connection. And it's, it's just really touching. It it really is. And uh, the first time I watched the show, it was one of the most surprising aspects of it that I wasn't anticipating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it was just like, it really turned into, like they have moments of like antagonism or tension, yeah. but like really they're there for each other. They're kind of all each other has. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mrs. Wheatley clearly had talent. Like she was a, a, a really good piano player. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, she wants to help Beth, you know, fulfill this talent that she has yeah, uh, on kind of a world stage. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a great relationship, especially between an adoptive mother and her daughter. Yeah. And also, like, she knows when to give her, like, space. Like, mm-hmm. she's fine with her. She's like, hey, you can stay at this party. Just, like, be careful what you smoke. And, like, yeah. you know, wear a condom or have, you know, a guy wear a condom if you have sex, that kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Beth goes to her... First tournament, pretty soon after being adopted, the Kentucky State Championships. Yeah. Uh, she's very forceful mm-hmm. and early on, and I, I love it. She's just like, I don't want to be put in, like, the beginner's bracket. Like, just put me up with the top guys. Yeah, and she actually um, writes to Mr. Scheibel for the money to That's get right. into the competition. Because this is even before she tells Mrs. Wheatley about being good at chess. And he gives her the money, which is really great. And she just goes into this competition and destroys everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's really great, especially with like everyone, no one knowing at this point who she is, everyone underestimating her. Mm-hmm. We meet a few people that we see again. First off, I want to mention the Kentucky boys, the Kentucky boys who are there at the registration table because they come back in the show pretty often. And I, I actually grow to like them. 
Um, yeah, once again, a great subversion. Yeah. Where, where at first they're like, who's this girl? And like, yeah, we don't ta- have a women's section. Yeah, like talking down to her. And then they become like good friends with her. I like know. she sees them at other tournaments and stuff. So I really loved that. Yeah. Uh, we also meet Towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Towns is a very handsome Henry Cavill type. Yeah. Skinny Henry Cavill. He I'll also say. looks a little bit like, um, oh, um, what's the guy from Star Wars Poe? Uh, oh, 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 Oscar uh, Isaac. Oscar Isaacs. Yeah. yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like those two fused. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he's very handsome. He makes Beth very flustered, but not flustered enough to let him win. No, no. <laughs> and like their game is full of like kind of stolen glances. And yeah, like, it's like it's kind of sexy. It is very sexy. And I even made a note that like, um, what did I write? Uh, Game with Towns was so sexy, it literally forced her ovaries into production. <laughs> yeah, she gets her period right after <laughs> yeah. this. <laughs> um, kind of, but I mean, you know, I say that jokingly, but the show does really draw a line between like sex and chess. Yeah. Uh, this kind of being the first time that's kind of like brought up in a way. It's her first like official big tournament and mm-hmm. like her first like foray into being a young woman, which is, you know, menstruation. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then she makes it all the way to the finals where she plays Harry Beltic. Yes. Played by the guy who plays Dudley in the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. He it, looks great. He does. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. He to... does kind of have like some close set eyes. He does. Um, yeah. But. In this scene, he does not look great because he has bad teeth. Yes, his teeth are <laughs> noticeably bad. Uh, and he's like kind of a douche. Yeah. Like he shows up late. He keeps like yawning in her face and she's like so just annoyed with it. Um and it seems like she may not win until she goes in the bathroom and does drugs. Yeah. In the book, she does not take the pill at yeah. this moment. It's interesting because in the book, it, the the pills are more related to her sleeping. Yeah. Like she just needs them to get to sleep, mm-hmm. uh, which I get why they kind of like adjusted it in the show to kind of just being like an overall substance abuse. Yeah. Um, But the pills give her the edge that she needed and mm-hmm. she goes back and kicks his ass. Yeah. Uh, And he even like kind of applauds for her at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think this leads into a good discussion worth having, which is about women in chess. And yeah. this show's depiction of it. Mm-hmm. Because I both like it and can understand why some people may be frustrated by it. I've listened to a few different um, female chess players talk about this show. Yeah. Uh, and, and some were not so happy with it in, in ways because they just felt it wasn't realistic in any way to like what women actually go through in the world of chess, mm-hmm. which I think is totally believable. Like Beth does encounter some like eye rolling and some like yeah bad manners from, you know, time to time. Um, but it, I don't really think it captures probably the overt sexism and antagonism that women would usually face against men. Yeah. Uh, especially in this kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard uh, other female chess players say, like, it was actually kind of refreshing because, like, while her being a woman was a part of her journey and, like, something she had to face, it wasn't, like, solely about her overcoming the uh, struggles of, like, you know... Yeah, it wasn't... Yeah, I see what you mean. Like, it wasn't, like she had to, like, push through all these barriers. It's not that type of story. No. Even though that's part of her story, it's more about her own struggle with addiction and with trying to figure out, like, 
her self-identity and, like, where she fits in the world. Um, and dealing, like, with her past, I think. So, you know, even though that's part of her story, I do like that it's not all about that. I agree. And I do, I think this is something that uh, shows and movies, I don't want to say struggle with, but sometimes it's a choice they have to make where it's, like, if you're dealing with, like, a black character in a certain situation, it's like, okay, do we want to be realistic about, like, the racism they may face? Or do people just want to see a show with a black character? And have it not always be a huge bummer. Yeah, yeah. And similarly with, like, women in certain mm-hmm. uh, shows and stuff. You know, it's like, do we always want those shows to be about that struggle? Or do we want to, you know, go beyond that? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, even in the show context, like, while in a way it's not indicative of, like, I think most women in chess, I think with her specific story, with Beth's story, it's like, I think she kind of becomes like a mascot. Yeah. Which I think is very realistic in a lot of ways, you know, um, organizations or, um, I don't know what you want to call them. Systems. Systems will embrace like a person of a minority, um, to be like, wow, you know, see how like inclusive we are. And they like to kind of like not parade them around, but show it off a little bit. Yeah. Like they can deal with like one person in Mm -hmm. this case, like Beth. Now, if you started getting, like, more women who were interested, they might be like, fuck off. Like, yeah. one's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's a very attractive young woman, so, like, that, you know, helps her, too, in that way. So I, I can see this kind of being realistic to an extent. Yeah, I think your comments about her being sort of a mascot and, like, an oddity are, mm-hmm. like, accurate. And you see that with a lot of minorities, you know, not just, like, women in a male-dominated field, but you might see that by, like, oh, we have one black person, and they're, like, kind of, like, we're, like, proud of them, you know? Yeah. But it, it is, like, it is still very, like, separated and, like, a not-welcoming environment towards other people wanting to come in. It, it's like in Hollywood. You might have actors who are, you know, they might be a person of color, and they kind of break through a barrier, mm-hmm. and, like, Hollywood embraces them, and they're like, wow, look at this. But then anyone else, you know, uh, of that minority who wants to enter the field, they may be like, mm, we, we have, already have. We have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Beth is kind of like, even though she's facing this like sexism, you know, it's not like the biggest part of her story. And she is going through some other stuff at this time. Like she's in high school. She's trying to figure out her own identity. And she kind of goes through this period where she changes her look and I think that's really important to her sense of self and like I think that is very true for like men and women but I think especially women sometimes in wanting to like take control of themselves and their lives by you know controlling like their appearance yeah and and trying to understand like you know who am I in in kind of a you know both like emotional way and also like, how do I want to dress? Like, what do I even like? Mm-hmm. I don't know yet. Yeah. And like the way you dress and the way you appear to the world is like a shield and it can be armor. And I think Beth does use it to her advantage. And she is super into fashion and it's talked about in the book a bit, but it's really emphasized in the show. And we have oh, yeah. uh, Anya Taylor-Joy finally getting rid of those terrible bangs <laughs> and she has a better haircut. She starts 
dressing in very stylish dresses and skirts and outfits. Like I loved the fashion in this show so much. So great. Such great like period piece, you know, fashion from that time. Anya Taylor-Joy in an interview uh, described the phases of Beth. Oh, yeah, because she has different wigs. Yeah, different hairstyles. And she says she goes from baby Beth Mm -hmm. to sexy kitten to... Glamour puss. Glamour puss, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved that description of like the three uh-huh. the three phases she goes through. Yeah. Uh, she is invited at one point into the apple pie club at school. Yeah. Which is just a bunch of bitches. <laughs> I think this is a classic, and I love this, but it's a great example of like something that you've wanted and you want to be part of the popular group, and then you hang out with them for some reason, and you're like, oh my God, these people are so boring. They're like insufferable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I... I also really like it, too, because it it kind of just emphasizes Beth's struggle of connecting with people. Because, I mean, she really is just solely focused on chess. That's, like, really the only thing that she's passionate about. And we Mm -hmm. see that time and again with her trying to connect with people. And oftentimes, like, you know, in the Apple Pie Club, she tries talking about chess. And they're like, oh, did you uh, have sex with any of the boys there? And she's like, ugh. I don't really care about that. Like, yeah, she just she's like, like, there's not really time. The games are really long. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go to bed early. <laughs> Chess is very tiring, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this is a good indication of this early on, just her struggling to connect with people. Yeah. Now we're going to Vegas. And it's I, Vegas, baby. <laughs> I do like that, you know, these championships or these like matches that she goes to to compete in. Um, are all in, like, a different city. And so we kind of get, like, a different vibe in, like, the different sets, the different locations. And even in the book, it's very much like, oh, this is the, like, Kentucky scene. This is, like, the Ohio scene. This is the Vegas scene. This is the San Francisco. The the set design, this is one of those shows where, like, everything, like, from the fashion design, the hair and makeup, the yeah, set design. the production in general. Is everything's just, off just the on point. It's, like, so good. And it makes, like, Specifically watching it, like it adds a level of watching it that's like very fulfilling and just interesting to look at, you know? Yeah, and I love the the Vegas set. The Vegas is, set is great. It's kind of tacky yeah. in a lot of ways, but like really perfect, I think. Mm-hmm. She runs into towns again and she's like, okay, I'm older now. Maybe we can actually do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, wow, and you're older too. You're like, what? 16 we can fuck right yeah (laughs) um but it is an interesting scene they in the book um in both versions they go up to his hotel room where he's a camera he wants to take some photos of her for a uh a piece he's writing for the paper Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a sexy time and in the book it just kind of ends like it doesn't nothing really happens um i think she isn't quite confident enough yet to want to make anything happen. Mm-hmm. And it's unclear why what he thinks about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the show has a very different scene play out. Yes. Where a guy shows up. Yeah. And it's suddenly weird. Mm-hmm. And like, he says something like, Oh, you know, I'll see you at dinner, you know, that kind yeah. of thing and leaves. And then, Towns is kind of awkward and like I get, you know, the implication is that like Towns is with that guy. Yeah. But would Beth automatically think? I I don't know. I don't know. It was just played out very oddly. It was. I think we, I thought we were meant to assume that he was with this guy. 
Um, but I wasn't sure what, what you were saying, like what Beth was thinking or what like Towns was even thinking. No. Cause it seemed like he was about to kiss Beth. So like, yes, he could be bi. That's totally valid. But like, I didn't know what the show was trying to tell us. No. And the guy who comes into the room doesn't seem to be bothered at all by the no. fact that Towns. So like. Does the guy just know, like, I know Towns is gay. Like, I know he's not going to want to bang her. Um, Or is he like, hey, a a polyamorous relationship. Like, I don't care. You do what you want. Like, you two have fun. Like, it's unclear. Mm -hmm. It's just unclear what anyone's thinking. Well, and when she runs into him later in Moscow, he's like, I'm sorry about that last time. Like, I was confused. And I was like, that doesn't explain anything. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yeah, I remember watching the scene the first time and thinking like that was weird <laughs> like it was just weird to try to figure out what we're supposed to get from it yeah and so when we watched it together for the episode i thought like okay let me look at this closer maybe i was just like yeah not not paying enough attention yeah and then i watched it again I'm like nope it's just as weird isn't it yeah i'm not like a, i don't love the way that it played out i wish we had a little more clarity there yeah at least for them to talk like i'm fine with it being like uncertain in the moment yeah like we need some kind of resolution on it later yeah and like beth is still hung up on towns later like Mm -hmm. she talks about like she still Still loves loves him him. i'm like you don't know him though he's just a handsome man you don't know him there's just so few handsome chess players (laughs) that you're like oh man (laughs) she's like there's one i found him i need i need to claim him She meets another chess player who I don't think we're supposed to believe is handsome because he's described as looking like a pirate in the book. Well, so here's the thing. It's not Benny in the book, I don't think. Oh, really? No, because I think... I think what the show did was it took the characteristics of a different character and applied it to Benny. I see. Um, Because reading it, I'm like, I was looking for the name or for some mention of him. And then vaguely, I think she runs into that pirate dude later. Yeah. It's not very clear about it because it just talks about his mustache. Okay. But I'm like, oh, I think that's the pirate dude. Mm, okay. So in the, I mean, it's the same encounter in the book, but it's yeah. just not Benny yet. I think Benny's just normal. <laughs> I think in in the, in, uh, the book. in the book. Yeah. Uh, he is very odd in the book and show, like in general. Um, like he carries a knife. <laughs> yeah. And later she asks him about it and he's like, for protection. I love how weird he is. Yeah. I, God, I forgot to look this up. I wanted to know, I'm like, is he based on anyone? Yeah. Like, I almost feel like he's so eccentric and quirky that he has to be, like, inspired by someone or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's true or not. But, like, regardless, I think it works really well as, like, not that, like, chess is full of weirdos or anything but like i think you would you'd find a few oh yes quite a few i think um and benny is the u.s champion and when she encounters him in las vegas he casually like mentions to her like a mistake she made in one of her previous games yeah and she's like no that's not and then she looks at it later and realizes like she did set herself up where you know, she could have been, like, taken over, basically. Yeah, yeah, in her uh, Baltic game, I think. Yeah. And this, like, really throws her off. She's, mm-hmm. like, very annoyed about it and, like, really wants to take uh, take Benny on. And she kind of gets, like, too hung up on doubling his pawns, which yeah. relates to a conversation they had before where she mentioned doubling his pawns. And he's like, that's not a big deal. Yeah. And so I think 
in the show, it's kind of this spite move. Yeah. She wants to double his pawns up just to, like, show... That <laughs> like she's teach better, him a, to, yeah. And to teach him a lesson to be like, see, this is a problem, and I knew it. Yeah. Um, she ends up losing the game. Mm-hmm. And this is something I wanted to mention because, like, I think sometimes the show is too faithful to the book because in the show... It wasn't clear, I think, that she lost. Mm-hmm. I thought she tied. Yeah. I thought she was upset that she tied because they end up sharing the championship. Yeah, they're co-champions. And it's just because of the way, like, the point system fell out. Yeah, she did lose to Benny, but they both had equal points by the end of the tournament. So that's why they ended up splitting yeah. uh, the championship. Uh, and the book explained this, but the show didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just because the show sticks so closely to... The dialogue of the novel. Yeah, they could have shown her like resigning and saying I resign or something like that or toppling her knight. She only just. (laughs) (laughs) Toppling her knight, her king. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she just seems upset. And I just thought like, oh, she must just be mad that she tied, Mm -hmm. Um, which isn't the case. And similarly, there's another scene earlier on where like um, in the show, Mrs. Wheatley is like, I don't know where all the money goes. Like I I should have had $20, but all I have is $7. And Beth's like, huh. Well, in the book, we find out Beth is stealing money from her. Yeah. But in the show, that's, like, not clear. I actually thought, like, Mr. Wheatley had taken money when he left or was, like, taking money from their bank account. And you're like, why add this dialogue if you're not going to actually show it in the show? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we are supposed to assume she's taking the money because she took her pills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mrs. Wheatley gets tranquilizers, so that's now her source of tranquilizers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes like the show is like too faithful to the book where it doesn't explain things. Mm-hmm. After coming back from Las Vegas, Beth uh, has kind of like an awakening in herself. You know, she goes to this like college party because she's taking Russian lessons at the college mm-hmm. um, and meets these college people and they're like come party with us she smokes her first joint she ends up having sex with a guy that's taking russian because he wants to read dostoevsky in the original russian oof bad bad <laughs> bad honey please. i mean she wants to lose her virginity so yeah like, she's she's definitely in control and she chooses it um but more importantly than all that uh the whole group of college people they just take off and they're like you can hang out in the apartment i guess and so she's like you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like become an alcoholic and like learn the ways of drinking like in excess over like a weekend. Yeah. Uh, It's really interesting how she just stays in this apartment. She like cleans it. Yeah. And this is very like, this is echoed later in the show when she overhauls like uh, her home. Yeah. And is also like on a bender. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of like this as like a microcosm of that well, same. And it's so interesting because like she calls Mrs. Wheatley and tells her like, you know, she's hanging out with friends and stuff and like, don't worry and et cetera. And Mrs. Wheatley is, is great. You know, she's like, okay, you know, be careful, honey. Yeah. But like Beth is lying not to like go hang out with her friends, but to be by herself and drink. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know? Yeah. Which is so odd because, like, yes, she does have sex with this guy on the first night, but then after that, she's just liking being by herself and, like, drinking until she passes out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is definitely a precursor to, like, showing what her addiction becomes, I think. Yeah. Just isolating herself, like, going on these benders and just, like, not knowing when to stop and just being very alone 
And it's really interesting, too, because the author of this book, uh, Walter Tevis, also struggled with alcoholism. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because when he was a child, he had some kind of illness. And when he was, like, in the hospital for, like, months and months, his family kind of, like, left him there and, like, moved across states. Oh, my God. And the people in the hospital were giving him drugs. Wow. Um, And then he was eventually reunited with his family, but I think those themes of, like, loneliness, abandonment... Like, being given drugs early and probably beginning, like, an addiction habit that he thought later contributed to his alcoholism, like, those themes show up in this book as well. Wow, that's... I I didn't know about... I knew he was an alcoholic, but I didn't know about that other stuff that's so fascinating and sad. Yeah. Yeah, so Beth's kind of had her first taste, you know, (laughs) literally of alcohol, but also of, like, kind of this lifestyle that she's later going to go on to. Yeah. So Beth and Mrs. Wheatley go down to Mexico City for a big tournament. And this is the first time she will encounter Borgov. Mm -hmm. uh, Who's the world champion. Yes, the the Russian. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's kind of just like... He, he I, I think he's like supposed to be based on like some real people like uh, Boris Spassky. Um, but he's just kind of like a very grim. Uh, Wears dark suits. Tidy. His face is always kind of very stoic and impassive. Kind of like almost like a generic Russian yeah. kind of character from this time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually think that works really well in this story because I think like he just kind of embodies like a lot of insecurities and fears that beth has his face is almost like a blank canvas yeah you can just kind of like project yeah yeah. well and two he you know is the world champion and he represents this very male institution and i think beth often feels insecure when she compares herself to him Mm -hmm. um and he is very talented and he is very he's a lot older than she is too so like there's that aspect as well yeah uh mrs wheatley is having a good time in Mexico City. (laughs) She uh, is hooking up with her uh, long-lost pen pal, Manuel. Manuel. Um, And they're going out on the town. Beth says they're definitely fucking. (laughs) (laughs) They are. But uh, yeah, no, uh, Mrs. Wheatley seems to be living her best life in Mexico City. Beth seems like vaguely annoyed that Mrs. Wheatley is kind of just like having this adventure and a good time. Yeah. But eventually, Beth has to face off against Borgov mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah. And she loses mm-hmm. pretty pretty hard, I'd say. Yeah. And she, I think the whole time she, in the book, says that she knew she was going to lose, like, the whole time. Yeah. And just, it felt like a loss from the start. And it, that part of that could be her confidence level, but also could just be, like, the skill that she's at at this point and, like, not being able to really compete with his level. And, you know, she goes up to see Mrs. Wheatley and tell her about her loss. And Mrs. Wheatley is dead. It's such a shocking moment. Yeah. I, I think in the the book, you know, does it well, too, because it's just like very abrupt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's so startling. Like Mrs. Wheatley was like vaguely talking about like some health is- issues she was having. Yeah, but didn't seem like she was really suffering or there was any like big problems. And they say that it's probably hepatitis, and I made me realize I don't know a lot of he- about hepatitis. And I looked it up, and I still really don't know like <laughs> what hepatitis is. But I do know like it can it can be an infection. It could happen from like contaminated water or food, um, and it could also be a result of drinking because Mrs. Wheatley 
does seem like she's kind of like a mild alcoholic. Yeah, a functioning alcoholic, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so Beth kind of has to like deal with, you know, getting Mrs. Wheatley's body back. At this point, she's only like 18. Yeah, and she calls fucking Mr. Wheatley, and he's just... He, he doesn't he, care. He's he so useless. Care. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. He's just like... I, 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 he's like, I can't deal with this right now. And he tells her, like, if you get her back home and buried, like, you can just have the house. Like, I don't, that's how much yeah. I don't care yeah. about any of this. Mm-hmm. And it's just really sad because Beth has suffered so much loss in her life. And you really did feel like her and Mrs. Wheatley had, like, found, like, a lot of love in their relationship. Yeah. And to lose that now just feels really tough for Beth. And it, It's interesting because almost right away when she gets back to Kentucky, she gets a phone call from uh, Harry Beltic. Yes. Who's the guy with the bad teeth, Dudley Dursley, (laughs) that she played in in her first tournament. And he calls her up and he's like, I heard you lost to Borgov. Like, I could help you train. Yeah. And at first this is like, okay, dude. Yeah. Um, But he, he brings up a good point. Like, listen, the Russians train with people all the time. Like, I can... Maybe help you in some ways, like, you know, mm-hmm. we can see. And she kind of agrees, because I think she's, like... She's really lonely. Yeah, and wants someone around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Harry shows up, and their relationship is is interesting, kind of how... Like, first of all, he's just such a different person when he shows up yeah. than when she saw him in... Uh, the state championship years ago. Also, he fixed his teeth. He fixed his teeth. <laughs> it was so funny watching it with you, Adina, because you're like, he looks better. You're like, what? What's what's different what about happened? him? And you did notice, you're like, oh, it's his teeth. They're better. And then like two minutes later, he's like, I fixed my teeth. And I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he clearly is like into Beth to a degree, you know? Yeah. Um, and she eventually like, because he is going to get an apartment and like need some place to stay in because he's helping her train. She says like, you can live here if you want, Mm -hmm. like for free. And this begins like also a sexual relationship between the two of them. Yeah. They sleep together. Um, and it's interesting because the show makes it seem like Harry is kind of in love with her. Yeah. Like something deeper because he actually tells Beth, like you were the reason I got my teeth fixed. Yeah. That he's like ever since the tournament, like has kind of like kept up with her chess career, you know, saw her on the cover of these magazines because she's become very successful and famous and maybe kind of like admired her from afar and built up like a little bit of a crush, you know, and saw this as his opportunity to like get to know her and everything. And Beth doesn't really want that. And Mm-mm. so it kind of seems like she her she rejects him a bit. And then he kind of is like, I've done all I can here with you. And I, I kind of need to move on with my life. Yeah. And, and, and once again, there does also seem to be a conflict with like him not being as good of a chess player as her. Yeah. She seems like frustrated by that. Mm-hmm. And I think he senses that. And also the sex doesn't seem very good, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Poor Harry. Yeah. He's trying his best. Um, but so... He ends up leaving, and the way he leaves in, bo- in book and movie is actually very different. Yeah. Which is, up until this point, literally, there have been so few differences. I know. Between the book and the movie, because, like, even new scenes of dialogue in the show are constructed out of... Um, the narrative. Out of the narrative from the book, like, whole sections that it's, like, the author talking about, you know, Beth and passages. Yeah. About the chess game. That was taken 
for when Beth later is telling uh, Mrs. Wheatley about a game she had. You know what I mean? Yeah, or the announcers um, narrating the chess games. Yeah, or sometimes Mm -hmm. speaking uh, phrases straight from the book. Like, up until this point, if you told me that uh, there were only, like, ten original sentences written (laughs) for the show, I would have believed you. Yeah. Um, But here, and this is constructed partly out of um, other passages from the book, but Harry, when he leaves in the show, kind of gives her like a warning yeah. in terms of like, because he knows he's taking, she, he knows she's taking tranquilizers mm-hmm. and she is kind of obsessive about chess. And he's just kind of like a lot of chess players have gone kind of crazy in the yeah. past. And I'm worried about you. He compares her to, to Morphe. Yeah. Who was a famous uh, U.S. player in like the 1800s who was like really um, just gifted as like a young person. And then by the age of like 22 had like retired, kind of burnt out and like just goes kind of off the rails and, and loses his mind basically. Yeah. Uh, Harry says uh, Morphe was the pride, the, the pride and the sorrow of chess, Yeah, which was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of gives her these parting words before he goes, which I like because it, it shows that Harry does care for Beth. It's not just like, yeah, you know, I think she is maybe a bit of a, um, I would say manic pixie. Oh dream yeah. Girl. But some ideal woman. He thought, yeah, yeah. It, you know, he may feel that a little bit, but he does genuinely care about her in the book. He just kind of seems like butthurt. Yeah. That she's <laughs> better than him. Yeah. yeah. And he just kind of like sulks away. Yeah. Um, and we actually never see him again in the book. No. Like he appears a couple more times in the show, but that's the last time we actually see Harry in, in, in the novel. Mm-hmm. And what happens? What happens next? Oh, she goes to the championship. U- yes, the U.S. championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- the last time we were here, it was Las Vegas. Now it's at like a shitty university. <laughs> yeah. And I really liked this because um, I think maybe it's meant to show kind of how chess declined over the years and became less like maybe well funded and mm-hmm. well liked and played in the U.S. Um and it's also a little bit more of a realistic kind of setting for something like this than like the gl- glitzy Las Vegas yeah. uh, showroom kind of situation. Um, but she encounters Benny again mm-hmm. and they kind of have this antagonistic relationship. But, you know, good overall. Benny kind of um, shittily challenges her to speed chess yeah. in front of a bunch of people and kind of humiliates her. Yeah, and takes a lot of her money. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of her money. Yeah, he kind of hustles her. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, even though Beth is mad about it, they don't seem to be... She doesn't seem to hold a grudge over it, mm-hmm. seemingly. Yeah, and she's feeling confident and good about her chess, and she knows that she can beat Benny. And yeah. she's she's more confident than she was when she met him in Las Vegas. I also like how Benny's kind of depicted as like a blowhard. Yeah. Like there's a couple different moments where he's like either talking to someone about chess who's like not interested. Yeah. Or like at this championship, he's like talking to some like high school kid who's like yeah. writing for the school paper. And he's like, you got to read my book. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of like talking to whoever will listen, which I kind of love. Yeah. But they eventually play each other. And I wanted to talk here about 
the way chess is filmed in the show. Yeah. Because I think it's, like, very interesting and really well done. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, like, I mean, in terms of, like, accuracy, it's, like, fairly accurate, I want to say, from everything that I could pick up on and could read. Mm-hmm. I'd say the main inaccuracies are just, like, there's a lot of eye contact. Yeah. Um, And, like, looking at each other, which I don't think would really happen. And also, um, they move pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which I totally get for a show. It's, like, yeah. you know they're not going to show them just sitting there. Like they have to be moving pieces. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Even though a lot of chess is just sitting there. But like in terms of the way it's filmed and edited, I think it varies it really well to keep it interesting each time. Like in this championship, we get this really great montage. Yeah. Of like different panels showing the chess board and Benny and Beth playing with like this really great music. And it kind of shows like multiple days of the tournament. them playing. Mm hmm. Other times, um, you know, when Beth played Benny the first time and she's looking at the board, we kind of see, like, the pieces moving around and then resetting. The pieces moving around yeah, and resetting. Yeah, envisioning, like, moves she could take. All the possibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, like, we don't even see the game. Like, yeah. in this instance, like, it shows them sitting down to the game and it smash cuts to them at the bar after. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, they're recounting how Benny got his ass kicked. Yeah. Uh, other times, like, you're watching the the display board that the audience is looking at. The pieces move around on that. Mm-hmm. I just think, like, they find different interesting ways of showing the chess visually that like keeps you interested in it. I agree. And I read this great article where they were talking to the editor Mm -hmm. of this movie and she was talking about how she edited the scenes with chess in them. And she said that she edited them like dialogue. Mm, Okay. So I think we're specifically talking about those like intense scenes, especially the ones with her and Borgov and like her in Moscow and the big ones at the end. Yeah. Where, like you cut to one person's face and mm-hmm. then you might like get shot of a board or something. And then you cut to the other person's face and kind of like a back and forth, mm-hmm. like on their faces, which oh, I found really interesting. The subtle facial acting is mm-hmm. so good. Like, especially from Anya Taylor-Joy, like when she's flustered or mm-hmm. like kind of annoyed or like proud or happy. Like, yeah, it's so subtle that it feels like very believable. I also read that the actor's, uh, memorized all their chess movements yeah, for I, each scene. I was reading that too. Um, so that they wouldn't have to like cut it in and they could just, and even when you don't see the board and they're moving the pieces, like they're moving them in the places that they're supposed to go. Yeah, it is. I mean, that is a great analogy for it just being, it is dialogue. It's yeah, like, it's, it's a conversation move and response and like mm-hmm. challenging. Yeah. I, I think it's all, um, and it kind of makes me think of, um, you know, crazy rich Asians. Yeah. Cause in that film there's a scene, and this isn't spoilers, but there's an important Mahjong scene. Yeah. Uh, between two characters. And like Mahjong is more just a metaphor and like, you don't, we don't know how to play Mahjong. No, but it's a great scene because like it's filmed in a way where like tied with the dialogue and the mm-hmm. way it's cut and everything, you know, what's going on. Yeah. You know, when a character reveals something that like they have the upper hand or something like that. Yeah. So very similar in that way. I agree. After the tournament and after she kicks Benny's ass, he actually offers for her to come to New York City with him so he can train her. I'm noticing a pattern where after Beth beats someone, they're like, why don't I train you? Yeah. And then they have sex. (laughs) Yes. And then they have sex. Yeah. And I might as well talk about this now, but I wasn't like a huge fan of her having sex with like, multiple 
people that she played in chess. Yeah. I mean, I get it because like shared interests and like, you know, she's drawn to people that like have a lot of stuff in common with her. But I, I just felt like it was kind of weird because like she's into towns, like she wants to fuck yeah. towns, but like can't because he decides not to, not because she doesn't. Yeah. Um, She and Harry have sex kind of just because she's like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And then she and Benny end up having sex too. And I kind of just wanted one of those relationships to be like a colleague, a friend, like just someone you can like connect with over a shared interest and not have to be sexual. Yeah, because I mean, like, I think Benny and Harry both show that they do care about Beth. It's not purely just like a lustful attraction or anything. But like, and, and I do understand like, yeah, the sexuality and like kind of the sexual awakening is like a strong theme in the show. But yeah, I don't know. It just felt like it almost felt like a man and a woman can't just be friends. Like they have to fuck, you know, like something I think like that. Ideally, I wish she hadn't fucked Benny. Yeah. Even though like, you know, it's interesting in the show after they have sex, she kind of is like, wow, that's what it's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly they it was better. It was better. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, I don't know. In the, in the book, actually, like it's still not that great it seems yeah (laughs) it's like fine (laughs) yeah and i i don't know i just and i think you know this isn't just a problem with this show like it's in the book as well so i think like you do have a male uh author here you have a male showrunner and while there's really great you know female characters in this story i do think this is a weakness of it in the fact that like we can't just have like a solid friendship between Beth and like another male chess player without there being a sexual component to it. Yeah, it is one of those like uh, sensitive things where it's like, okay, she's the only woman in this like male dominated field. She should maybe not like fuck or want to fuck like all the men that she kind of has a close relationship with. Yeah, the Kentucky boys were good, though. They were solid. They never, as far as we could see, tried to fuck her. No, they're just friends. (laughs) They just hang out. The Kentucky boys. Yes. They're so wholesome and good. We love them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say, though, this did have one of my favorite, like, tie-in moments of, like, sex to chess, where, like, uh, Benny has, like, some guys come over, Mm -hmm. and it's, like, two dude chess players, and then this, like, kind of sexy French woman uh, that Beth immediately seems into. And the woman uh, mentions that, like, she's kind of with both of the guys or, like, had been at one point uh, with each of them and had been with Benny, too. Mm -hmm. And when they kind of re-enter the conversation, the living room, all the dudes kind of give Beth this, like, weird look. Yeah. And for a moment, you're like, oh, "Oh my God, are they going to, like, want to, like, have an orgy or something? Like, what's about to happen? And And then they're like, we want you to play us all at once. <laughs> it was really funny, like really well done tying the yeah. like sex and chess together in a funny way that I really, I did like that moment a lot. Yeah. Also great. Cause she kicks all of their asses. Yes. And she kind of like gets revenge on Benny yeah. in speed chess. So mm-hmm. that was really good too. Yeah. She finally goes to Paris now. She's like at the, what, what is at Paris? Is it the, World, it's not the world championship, is it? I don't know what the, yeah, I I don't know what the tournaments are specifically because, like, even at the end, 
it's not the world champion. Yeah. It's like the Moscow Invitational or something or you, something. I guess it's just like money's involved. Yeah. That's the main thing, I'm yeah. guessing. You get money if you win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she goes to Paris and competes in this tournament. And she seems to be on a new kick of not drinking. Yeah. Because um, Benny is all about like the sobriety. Like they've been practicing together. He's training her. And she talks about in the book how she's never felt mentally sharper than like this time when she goes to yeah. Paris. And it's interesting because here is another, here's the, maybe the biggest divergence in book and show. Yeah. And that is, well, well, first of all, in the book, she just plays Borgov. Yeah. And she took some sleeping pills the night before, but it wasn't like a big deal. Yeah. And she just loses to him. Mm-hmm. The show, though, uh, before her game against Borgov, she gets a call from Cleo. Yeah. And they go and have a drink because Beth is like very obviously into her. Yeah. And they kind of have this flirtation. And then we go to what was actually a flash forward at the very start of the first episode of Beth waking up hungover in a bathtub. Yeah. And oh shit, <laughs> the game with Borgov has like started. started. And she's late. Yeah. And she's clearly hungover. I love in this scene with her and Borgov, she keeps like needing water because she's yes. so dehydrated from the alcohol. Also the music here, it's kind of like a weird mix sound design that's kind of like grating and kind of like tense. We like, get the ticking clock that's yeah. like intense as well. And we get the ticking clock in the flashbacks that she has to her mom as well. Yeah. Kind of like creating this sense of unease. I think it might be like, I think it was like the cooling engine of the car crash at first, mm. that kind of ticking and then yeah. that trance. It, it, it's effective in that way. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk though about the Cleo encounter though. Yeah. I had a, I don't say a big problem with this, but like basically every other sexual encounter she's had in this show, we know how she felt about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. When she had sex with that college student, it was very underwhelming. Yeah. Um, Harry, she didn't seem to like care at all about. Yeah. Him. Benny, we knew that she had a better experience with for sure. Mm-hmm. But when she has sex with Cleo, you know, a woman, we never find out what that meant for her. Yeah. Like, was it just a whim? You know, was it, better for her was she like wow actually i'm into women and like this whole time this is why it hasn't been working for me with men or was she like that was good i would maybe do that again with someone else but maybe i'm you know bi or pan or something like yeah like cleo never returns again in the show um Beth, yeah, Beth never has any other encounter with other women and this is only in the show it's not in the book at all yeah so it felt like I I don't know. They wanted this element in the show for whatever reason, whether it was like the hangover for the Borgov game Mm -hmm. or I'm not sure what made them like for how close it was throughout the whole show up until this point. Yeah. I don't know what made them include this part specifically, but I really wish they had like committed more to like following up with it. I agree. I would have appreciated that, too. I did hear a fun theory that people think that um, Cleo was like a spy. Hmm. And for two reasons, I mean, one, she kind of like gets Beth drunk. Yeah. And so she loses the game. But also, secondly, Cleo is the only person that Beth ever mentioned towns to. Mm. She said, like, I I love towns. 
And later, uh, at the end of the show, when Towns shows up in Russia, he said, oh, they like sped up my passport. I, uh-huh. Maybe they thought I'd be a distraction for you. Mm. And it's like, oh, I love that why theory. else would they think like, who, who's this dude? Why would they think he would distract her? Yeah. And why would she be like sexually involved with like three like very well established chess players in the U.S.? Like mm-hmm. Benny, those two other guys. One of them was a grandmaster. Those other guys. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they? Yeah. Why would they think towns? Yeah. Um, So it's just like I was like, I actually buy that. Those two reasons are pretty strong. I like that. Um, But of course, like we never see Cleo again. So who who the fuck knows? (laughs) (laughs) I I would I would agree to that theory. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, But this loss is like especially devastating for Beth. And she even says because Benny's like, I heard you were drunk. Yeah. And she's like, no, she's like, I was hungover, but like it wouldn't have mattered. She's just kind of like. He was just better than me. Yeah. And in the book, she's not drunk or hungover or anything. He just wins. And so it's that same vibe that like she tried so hard and she Mm -hmm. trained and it like wasn't enough. And now she feels like everything's pointless. And she goes back to Kentucky and Mr. Wheatley has returned to try to like steal the house from her after he said she could have it after abandoning her and like leaving her alone after Mrs. Wheatley died. It's just like so shitty and you feel so bad for her. And this kind of begins like a really bad downward spiral for her. Yeah. Where, you know, she kind of just embraces like, I mean, she chugs wine. Like, yeah. Crazy. Oh my God. The part where she like throws up in her trophy cup. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the few things I was like, she's drunk, but she's like spinning in circles. And yeah. I was like, um, and, but then she, at least she threw up. So I was like, okay, that's believable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just kind of this like montage of her. Once again, it's interesting the the correlation of like she fixes up the house, yeah. Mrs. Wheatley's house that she buys, uh, redecorates it, new furniture, wallpaper, all that stuff makes it much more retro or not retro, but 70s. Yeah. But like that tied to her also being on this bender kind mm-hmm. of like at the college apartment, which I really thought was interesting. Needing something to like kind of occupy her and then running out of things and then just descending even more into that alcoholism. Um, it's actually like the way it's described in the book is like, ugh, I like cringed reading it. Cause she talks about like waking up and like her organs hurt. Yeah. And she like literally can't even pull herself out of bed, like yeah. physically incapable mm-hmm. of crawling out of bed. Yeah. But cannot stop herself from like just opening another bottle of wine and like continuing to drink. Yeah. It, it's a really dark. Honestly, this episode of the show was so fascinating when I rewatched it because I'm like, so much happens in this episode. Yeah. Like, it starts with her going to New York, and then she goes to Paris, where she loses, and then she flies home, and then she, like, buys the house, renovates it, goes on the spender. (laughs) Like, it is a packed episode. Yeah. And she ends up forgetting that she's supposed to go back to the Kentucky State Championship. Mm -hmm. And so goes, but is, like, so just, like, washed out and, like, gross and, like mentally not there and ends up having to like withdraw from the tournament. Yeah. In the book, she actually starts a game and loses to this like kind of nobody, Mm -hmm. which is just like infuriating to her in the show though. uh, There's a, there's two interesting moments where uh, the first is she runs into this girl, Annette, Mm -hmm. who was actually the first person she ever played in the Kentucky tournament. Yeah. And she actually went to this tournament specifically to see Beth. Oh, my God. It's such a painful moment. I know. And Beth is just hung over and just like 
doesn't know how to respond. Like she clearly feels like kind of overwhelmed and yeah. guilty that she's like Throwing so her fucked life up. Away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Harry shows up. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this scene. Yeah. And this was a scene that was totally original to the show. Like, I don't think any of the dialogue was pulled from No, the book. and he talks about his dad kind of being an alcoholic and not wanting that path for her and just saying, like, you know, you need help. Like, you can't do this by yourself. And it's just sweet that he, like, cares enough. He, like, stopped at her house and she wasn't there. Yeah. And he's been calling her. He goes to the tournament to try to see her. Like, you know, he's not trying to get with her anymore. He's just worried about her. No. And I also love seeing Harry again because, like, his life is now going away from chess. Yeah. Like, he's studying to become an electrical engineer. He works at, like, the grocery store. And Beth kind of, like, mocks him. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you know what? I like it. It's a good job. And clearly, like, if Beth didn't have chess... Like, she would, I mean, first of all, be an alcoholic just yeah. all day. But then, like, what would she even do with her life is, like, very unclear. Like, mm-hmm. that seems to be something she struggles with. So to encounter someone who, like, has kind of left chess and, like, has found a different life for themselves, I think is, like, hard for Beth to even imagine or understand fully. Yeah. So I like seeing that side of it as well. I agree. And, you know, Beth kind of realizes that she does need help. And uh, in the show at this point, Jolene from the orphanage shows up in the book. She actually is like, I need to reconnect with Jolene. Yeah. And actually like seeks her out and tries to find her phone number, calls her and then they reconnect. Um, But either way, they end up kind of coming back together after a long time. And it's clear that their relationship was like very meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And I love that Jolene even though she cares about Beth, is not like, I have to fix you or, like, I can help you. She's just like, listen, you need to, like, exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I love how practical she is. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, you need to go to the gym and, like, you look terrible. Yeah. Uh, And so I love it because in the book we get, like, a training montage. Yeah. We don't really get one in the show. We see them, like, playing racquetball together. Yeah, but in squash. The, squash. <laughs> but uh, but in the book, we get, like, a training montage of Beth going to the gym and getting her ass kicked. Yeah, just, lifting weights. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will find this article and link to it on our Patreon, though. There's a fascinating article about how many calories chess players burn mm. when they play in tournaments. It's crazy. Like, it's, like, equivalent to someone who, like, ran, like, a half marathon or something insane like that. Wow. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think it's depicted well too in the show that like playing a chess tournament is physically demanding, not just mentally, but like the physical and the mental are so tied together. Yeah. And this actually really helps Beth. And I love that this is kind of like helping her um, in a lot of ways where other stuff didn't, or like studying more chess didn't help her, but like, exercising and like building up her physical endurance does. And we find out later that like Borgov like doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. He like does a lot of physical activity as well to kind of like keep himself active. Uh, Magnus Carlsen, who's like, I think maybe like the top rated player in the world currently. Yeah. Uh, He's like a a physical fitness nut too. Like Mm -hmm. I I should say not, but he's like very physically active and like has like a training regimen and everything. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there's definitely truth to that. They end up going to Mr. Scheibel's funeral together because he dies at this time. And I love that we're going back to Methuen um, orphanage 
we're seeing it through adult Beth's eyes and kind of like remembering how shitty it was Mm -hmm. and like how awful to be in this place was and that like the staff with some exceptions was just like kind of cruel to these kids for no reason um and I, i feel like we see this a lot in both beth and jolene and like They have this anger in them Mm -hmm. that comes out. And I think the show gives it to us where like they just were, they had so much taken away from them. And like Jolene was never adopted, you know? Yeah. And like Beth suffered like her whole life and had the one thing that she loved chess taken away from her for no reason. And like, just how like isolating that can be. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, one of my favorite moments that the show added was when she's in the orphanage, she sees Mrs. Uh, Fair... Deerdorf? Deerdorf, sorry. Mrs. Deerdorf. And Mrs. Deerdorf says, like, shouldn't you be in chapel, young lady? And it's yeah. like... Is this a it's hallucination? Like unsettling. Yeah. Like, it's, like, a little funny, but also, like, a little creepy and unsettling. Yeah. And I, it was just, like, the perfect tone, I thought. I loved that, like, little moment. Yeah. And... We get this really great moment, too, where Beth sees that Mr. Scheibel, like, kept all these, like, newspaper clippings and, like, pictures of her and clearly, like, followed her career over the years. And it's just really sweet. And I think, like, this is one good part of her life that she can, like, reflect on, that she had Mr. Scheibel. And even though he didn't really show his affection, he really cared. This shattered me (laughs) when I first watched the show. (laughs) Just her finding... Scheibold's wall of like clippings of her and it because like like I was saying like he was so kind of emotionally withdrawn in so many ways and yeah. to see that sadly like after he's already passed and we also find out I think only in the show that Beth never gave mailed him his ten dollars I know that she owed him I'm like come on Beth I know <laughs> seriously like ten dollars yeah but like I think that really highlighted that like Beth was just kind of like on this journey yeah. and it was all about that. Mm-hmm. And like nothing was gonna to the point where like even someone who helped her out when she really needed it to play chess, she kind of like forgot it immediately. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like very a moment for her to realize that like, wow, like I've really kind of neglected a lot of the people that have helped me yeah. on my journey. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like, so there's this like plot line with Christian Crusade where it's like this organization that wants to fight communism for Jesus. For Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Benny saying that in the show is so funny. <laughs> they want to fight communism with Jesus. <laughs> but they're willing to sponsor her and Benny to go to Moscow to defeat the evil communist Soviet Union and represent uh, Christian capitalism, you know, uh, it's very like, it does kind of show it as like ridiculous in both the book and the show. Yeah. But then again, though, it's like so indicative of stories like this, like uh miracle, you know what I mean? Yeah. When the U S beat the Soviet hockey team and, and like similarly when, um, when Bobby Fisher, yeah. When yeah. Bobby Fisher, you know, played Boris Spassky, like there is a lot of, um, you know, real parallels and also parallels in like movies and books and stuff to this kind of narrative. America defeating the Russians. Yeah. And like good capitalism saving the day. And even up until this point, uh, Queen's Gambit hasn't like fought that narrative. No. Like, and in fact, um, 
Borgov is kind of like that very classic Russian villain. Yeah, like quiet, intense Russian mm-hmm. yeah, villain that she has to defeat. Yeah. So this episode actually kind of plays with that a lot, which is very interesting. Yeah, and I like that Beth is not willing to make a public statement about how much she loves Jesus and <laughs> capitalism. She's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. She's like, I just don't care about those things. Um, but that means she has to turn down the money. And in the book, it's just like she has enough where she can still go, but Benny can't go with her. Um, in the show, Jolene actually ends up lending her the money so she can go. Yeah, um, which she was, Jolene was saving up so she could go to law school. And like, mm-hmm. Jolene's like, I, I believe in you that like you'll win and like obviously you'll pay me the money back when you do. But um, it's this really sweet moment where Jolene is just kind of like, we, we're basically sisters. Yeah. And, you know, I want to be there for you and I hope you would be there for me too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I really like this moment in mm-hmm. this show. So she's able to go to Moscow. She has someone from like the state department come with her mr booth yeah who's like very like similar to like the christian crusade very much like the russians may try to like signal you <laughs> yeah which was like very like what are you talking about and yeah like, it was also implied before that like um Borgov, like KGB agents were with him. Yeah. And I think the Kentucky boys were like, or it's so he like doesn't run off or something. Yeah. So I'm like, it, does Borgov need help? Like tap twice if you <laughs> need help. SOS. <laughs> <laughs> he spells out with like the chess pieces <laughs> on the board. Help. <laughs> <laughs> help me. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a little unclear and kind of we never really get. I mean, I think it's just maybe paranoia in general. Yeah. Surrounding this kind of situation. But mm-hmm. I love going to Moscow and feeling like this is like a country that takes chess seriously. Yeah. We get so many great references to this um, from like the crowds that are waiting for Beth after she comes out of playing a game that they want her autograph. They know her name to like them announcing it over the radio and people like listening by radio and like recreating the match mm-hmm. with like their own chess board to like this kid that's like running back and forth, <laughs> like yelling to the crowd outside what moves they're doing. Well, and we know that like the Russians pay like the top players like Borgov to play chess. That's their full time job. Like yeah. and not just to go on like the chess circuit and, and win like, money, win money like they get a salary for what they do. Yeah. As opposed to the U.S., which is just like. I don't know. You better fucking figure it out yourself. But then you better represent us yeah. in the U.S. and win it for us for America. Yeah, exactly. So I do, I do think it's like, um, like you said, highlighting how important chess is uh, to the country. She has a really great match with uh, Luchenko, yeah. who is the former world champion. And he's like got this white hair. It's kind of shaggy. He looks very elegant. And it's this very intense match. And they actually end up having to adjourn. And uh, they pick it back up the next day. And this is an example of like the chess being exhausting because it's going on for hours and hours and hours. And he finally resigns and he's just like, I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so tired. I can't keep going. Yeah. But um, it's this really great moment, though, where he like really congratulates her. He's very warm. Yeah. And they kind of like I think because it's. that we call it when they finish the game after an adjournment yeah like there's not people there's not spectators really yeah and so they kind of get to have like this conversation and i really love this because this is like really attacking the idea 
that the Russians are just cold yeah. and kind of like overly serious and like, you know, um, inherently villainous. Yeah. And, and the idea that like, oh, because they're commies, they're like, like you said, just like inherently villainous. So I like really loved this moment to just be like, they're chess players. Like, yeah, first they and respect foremost. each other yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um. So, I, yeah, this was like one of the highlights of this moment of, of this episode, I think. And then she finally has her match with Borgov and it similarly ends or like doesn't end, but like they have to adjourn yeah. and, and pick it up the next day. And I like when they adjourn and she's kind of like trying to figure out what she's going to do next. And she sees like Borgov and like some other players like kind of consulting with each other mm-hmm. and tying this back to the fact that like the Russian players, like they're a team, like they help each other and they like, you're like, well, you could do this, you could do this, you could do that. And that might feel like cheating in a way, but it's not because like everybody kind of needs help to improve their game. Yeah. And that idea too, that like Beth wants to be on her own and like, you know, or has up until this point, but this episode, she's facing the fact that like, not only does she need help, but she's been getting help. Yeah. Even if she like, is better than pretty much everyone else. Like Harry did help her and Mm -hmm. Benny did help her. And like uh, Jolene helped her like just to get sober. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like you can't really do it all on your own. And we get a great part in the show where town shows up. Yeah. And it's like such a great scene where she's so happy to see him. And there's nothing really romantic with them at this point. Like they just seem like they're friends and they're Mm -hmm. happy to see each other. Um, He doesn't show up in the book, but she does get a call the next morning from New York, and it's Benny. Yeah, Benny and uh, some other chess players. In the show, we get to see uh, Harry is one of them. The Kentucky Boys. The Kentucky Boys are there. (laughs) Wholesome, good Kentucky Boys. Yeah, and they're like, we've been going over this chess game because we know, like, how it adjourned. Here are all the ways that you could like advance your situation basically. And it's just such a beautiful moment. Like I love it so much that in her time of need, like her community does come together to support her. Yeah. And the idea that like, even, you know, like I think chess is so often depicted as like this intense struggle where you need to crush your opponents yeah. and like, you know, defeat it being them. solitary and being like a mark of your own ego and achievement. Yeah. And like that is, I think, true to a degree. You know, there are there is an intense rivalry in chess and like mm-hmm. um, people want to win and like care about that. But like earlier on when Beth is giving that um, Life magazine interview, um, she mentioned something along those lines about like chess can be really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I really love this as a theme kind of surprising me how it like kind of appeared in the show at this point. Like it almost kind of blindsides you. You don't like see it coming almost. Yeah. But suddenly you're like, wow, like there is a community here of Mm -hmm. people. Like even among like uh, the competition, you know, when the older guy, Luchenko, Luchenko, Mm -hmm. like even when she beat Luchenko, he was like happy for her. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's such a great subversion of this narrative especially when you consider like the u.s versus soviet angle Mm -hmm. where they're like yeah why don't you tell them how much like uh russia sucks and you hate (laughs) it and you're glad to be an american yeah you know i I just love this theme Mm -hmm. and this helps her so much in her match against borov and there is a point where she has to kind of you know their advice ceases to be relevant and she has to figure out her own strategy but like i think this gives her so much confidence and strength in mm-hmm. going back into this game with borgov and i really love 
when she finally like wins it. Yeah. And he's like, take it. It's your game. Yeah. Um, it's a great moment. It is a great moment. And then like he hugs her. <laughs> I know. It's really sweet. It is. It's like so shocking that like even Borgov, who's Just, like, like stoic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even he's like, and, and you know what? Like, yeah, this is probably like to the degree of being like, oh, not yeah. realistic to like, you know, any kind of actual chess game. But like it's instead something that like you can almost like aspire to or like hope chess could be or that you yeah. want it to be that way. You yeah. know what I mean? It is a good ideal that you would want. And I think that's definitely real. And I love the way that the show and the book concludes with Beth kind of going back to this park that she saw earlier yeah. where like tons of like old men just gather every day to play chess like in the cold, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just very typical old Russian men yeah. in gray clothes. Uh, but, like, when she goes there, like, they're super, like, happy to see her and, yeah. like, welcoming. And she sits down with kind of just this this random older man who's, like, they cast, like, the perfect old man for this. <laughs> he, he seems, like, so, like, happy and warm and sincere. Yeah. Uh, and she begins a chess game. And it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, you could probably describe how it fits thematically into the story and, like, why it works. But, like, I think it's one of those moments that just feels right. It does. And I think it brings you back to like she enjoys playing chess yeah and so do the all these men and that's what she's gonna do it's just a love of the game yeah ultimately yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so which one's better oh god they're so similar they are and i haven't even um (laughs) fuck i haven't even thought (laughs) you always say that i i I, (laughs) it's true you know the book was very good i did like it I, I think uh, I, I enjoyed it, but like I'm also curious. I actually want to ask you a question because we didn't really talk about this. What was it like reading the chess in the book? Because I know how to play chess. So when they talk about past pawns. Yeah, um, I just skimmed it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't like understand that. I don't play chess. So like I would kind of read if like something seemed like it, I would understand it. Um, and they did talk about certain things like and describe it in context, like she regretted that or she was like confident in mm-hmm. this move. But like most of the stuff I just skimmed. Yeah, because like, you know, it doesn't give you a play by play, but it gets pretty technical at points. And like, I, I know what they're talking about. Like they don't have like the actual diagram on the but y- yeah. you get a sense for kind of the problems and the pitfalls that she faces. So like I was able to follow along with kind of what was being described. I was curious from your perspective, what that was like as a reader yeah. to kind of go through that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I did enjoy uh, the book. It did shed a shed some light on certain aspects that I mentioned where like, I think the show was like a little weirdly vague about. Yeah. Um, And it did improve on some characters like Harry mm-hmm. and even Benny. Benny's a bigger dick in the book. Yeah. Um, Plus the show is just like, so lush and great to look at and watch that I'm, I think I'm going to go pretty solidly with the show on this. I think I'll go with the show too. I really enjoyed watching it. I think it's more fun to watch chess than to read about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least the way that this show films it. Like I think they do make it really dynamic and interesting and you kind of like, even though you don't know exactly what's going on, you get the vibe and that's easier to convey visually, I think. And Again, like the production's awesome. The actors were really great. I love, you know, Harry and Benny being a little better and like coming back, you know, in this later scene. So I agree. I think I'm going to pick the show. It's a show for both of us. Should we do a lightning round? Yeah, let's do lightning round. 
First off, for lightning round, I love Mrs. Wheatley's like dry sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. And it's written in the book and it comes through in the show because they repeat a lot of the dialogue. And this is a scene where um, her Mexican boyfriend has just ditched her. And uh, Mrs. Wheatley said, uh, or Beth hesitated for a moment. How long will he be away? Mrs. Wheatley sighed. At least until we leave. I'm sorry. Well, Mrs. Wheatley said, I've never been to Oaxaca, but I suspect it resembles Denver. Beth stared at her a moment and then laughed. We can have dinner together, she said. You can take me to one of the places you know about. Of course, Mrs. Wheatley said. She smiled ruefully. It was fun while it lasted. He really had a pleasant sense of humor. That's good, Beth said. Mr. Wheatley didn't seem very amusing. My God, Mrs. Wheatley <laughs> said. Alston never thought anything was funny except maybe Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that last part. That's great. <laughs> so the the chess in the book, while mostly like made sense and was accurate, there were like a few things that like didn't ring true or were like wrong. Uh, there was a mention of um, the Sicilian defense being played like when uh, Mr. Scheibel's teaching her and like it starts off with the wrong move, mm-hmm. which is a little confusing and like, you know, inaccurate. You know, there were some other very small things. Um, but there is one thing that like really cracked me up. There's a uh, something called uh, a smother mate in chess where your opponent's king is like blocked in by its own pieces and you uh, checkmate it with a, a knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this book refers to that. But let's see if you catch the the mistake in the book. Um, she stood there for a long time while a few customers went in and out of the store. No one bothered her. She read through game after game and was surprised by some of them by dazzling moves Queen sacrifices and smothered males, <laughs> you know, uh, smothered males, uh, boys smothered in gravy. <laughs> like I, I read that and I did it. I'm like, I did a double take. I was like smothered males. Like, I, I don't know. It's obviously just like a typo, but it like really, <laughs> it like really cracked me up. I also want to mention from the show. Mr. Booth, who's like the government official that goes with Beth to Moscow. Like at one point they're on the plane and he has this flask out and he offers it to her and she's like, no. And then they're talking later and he's like, and no drinking. And she says, you just offered me a drink. And he goes, that was a test. <laughs> he's just so dumb. He is. I also love the part when he talks about like waking her up in the morning, knocking yeah. on the door. And she's like, will you knock two times fast and one time slow? <laughs> and he's just like, good one. <laughs> Finally, like there was one shot in in the show that I really loved uh, where, you know, and this is along the lines of uh, sex and chess being fused Mm -hmm. where uh, high school Beth is laying on her bed at night and she takes some pills and we don't see the pieces, but we just see shadows moving in front of her. Yeah. And then just the shadow of the queen, like right on top of her as she like lays in bed like the shadow growing Mm -hmm. on her and I just like kind of like the sexuality of that yeah I thought was like so it was like funny but effective and like I love when a show or movie can be like kind of obvious with its visual metaphor but like make it work regardless yeah and and still be visually interesting yeah and this is one of those times where I'm like that's that's so perfect I love that (laughs) That's the end of Lightning Round, and that's the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. This was a really fun one to talk about. Ian, I'm glad we could finally 
dedicate an episode to discussing chess. I got to talk about chess, finally. <laughs> I didn't have to like awkwardly work it into a Harry Potter episode. <laughs> if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do that. All of our patrons get access to our bonus episodes and they also have priority in episode recommendations. We can also uh, use some ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts if you yeah. feel so inclined. So um, we definitely appreciate that as well. Also, if you go to our website, CoveredToCredits.com, you can listen to episodes there or find all of our social media handles for Twitter, you Instagram, can find our Patreon too. Facebook. Yeah, Patreon uh, through there too. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.